This is the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. Welcome back to the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the PSA Podcast, and with me in the studio today is Mike McHale, and he is the CEO of PSA Systems, which stands for Production Systems Automation. Mike, back again for another podcast. Afternoon, Marty. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Pretty excited. We got, a, we got an exciting very, one today, huh? Very excited. They've all been exciting. This this one's uh, this one's pretty. Uh, this is a cool, this very is, cool podcast. This is cool. So yeah. <laughs> tell us who we have. We have on the line Dr. Tim Simpson. He's the professor of mechanical engineering and industrial engineering at Penn State University. He oversees the world's first graduate program in adaptive manufacturing and design, and serves as a co-director of CIMP3D, the Center of Innovative Materials Processing through Digital Direct Digital. Disposition, one of the nation's <laughs> leading R and D centers of metal metal additive manufacturing and three D printing. That's a lot to say, Tim. Man, man, this is complicated is. stuff. Very complicated. <laughs> Big words. Apparently, apparently, I typed it wrong too. It's additive manufacturing and then deposition. So yeah. my bad on typos uh, if that was the <laughs> uh, no problem. But wow, what a uh, what a program you have, and uh, this is some uh, some really deep, really deep out of the box thinking here. Yeah. So, so again, you're going to hear both our voices. I guess we sounded like this is Marty. Um, so, really, the key things we want in the introduction is that Dr. Timothy Simpson is with Penn State. Uh, he has this incredible lab going on there at the at Innovation Park. I think you're still there, Tim. Right. Correct. Yep. Correct. And so we're going to, as we say, deep dive into what he is doing there. So let's start this way, uh, Tim. So it said right in your introduction, you oversee the world's first graduate program in additive manufacturing and design. The first. Wow. Tell us about that journey that got you there. That's an unfair question, Tim, but kind of sum it up. <laughs> Go. <Sure. laughs> yeah, so we're, we're actually, uh, along with sort of the, the resurgence of, of interest, uh, both students and companies, uh, we launched the first uh, brand new standalone additive manufacturing and design degree program. So it's at the grad level. So you get a master's uh, in additive manufacturing and design. Uh, we're both online and residents, and within three years, we quickly grew. We've got more than 100 online students from uh, almost 60 different companies, as well as about another 30 students and residents. So it's a nice combination, sort of a hybrid model there. And the, the, even though the degree is new, the courses uh, that make up that, most of them we have been teaching for several years. Mm. So uh, we bring together, you know, the, the uh, processing, uh, 3D printing and processes from industrial engineering you know, that's been around 20-plus years, obviously continues to be updated as new, new technologies become available. We launched uh, materials for additive course uh, about four years ago. We've got an engineering and science of additive course in there, and then we've got a new hands-on lab that we've been running three years, uh, as well as a design for additive course. So we've got really depth in what we feel are the key areas there. And then we complement that with electives in, you know, polymers, metals, bioprinting. Uh, we did a 3D concrete printing course. Hmm. Uh, or if you want to look at, you know, what do I need to know about machining and inspection and those sorts of technologies relative to additive, uh, we're starting to build out electives there as well. So a fairly, fairly comprehensive program and offering. What has driven that? 
What's what, where's the demand coming from from uh, companies, the world? What's what's driving that, Tim? Sure, you know, interest is really being driven by companies, by industry. So I think you know nobody anticipated uh, sort of the renew this resurgence or hype for for additive manufacturing or what we used to call 3D printing. You know, it just really took off uh, in the last seven eight years, and uh, a lot of schools have or offer sort of a you know, an introduction to additive or an intro to 3D printing and, and maybe do a little bit with plastics. But really, all the companies are trying to get, you know, get in the game now. And how do you educate both your current workforce uh, and sort of upskill them? And at the same time, you know, how do you prepare students getting ready to graduate and go out there? And so students even five years ago that were graduating didn't have access to any of these sort of courses. So making it online readily available for them has been uh, you know a win-win-win for everybody mm. hey, Tim <clears throat> this is Mike so can you break down what additive manufacturing is sure. I understand it's plastics and metals but like let's break it all the way down to somebody who's not an engineering background could could kind of understand in a simplistic way absolutely so if you think about uh, sort of making you know how we make parts and components traditionally we most, you know, a lot of those, so milling, lathing, where we are, uh, you know, removing material, those are referred to as subtractive manufacturing processes. So we start out with a big block of metal, and then we, you know, cut it away, uh, remove it away to get the final shape we want. We also have forming processes, sort of like casting, injection molding. Basically, you're pouring metal or, you know, shooting plastic into a mold to create the part. The idea behind additive there is, you know, in comparison to subtractive, is that you start and build up your part layer by layer by layer where you are adding material to make your part component, whatever shape it is you're trying to create. So, so it's been around, uh, the technology has been around since the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, you know, it was called 3D printing back then. It was mostly with plastics and polymers. But it's really been in the last uh, decade or so now that we've been able to do that with metals. And so they really tried to transition from 3D printing to additive manufacturing because now you are truly making end-use components and parts that are, you know, getting, getting bolted on an airplane or in a car or, you know, implanted in your hip or something like that. So hence the change to really denote, um, you know, be it plastics or metals, we are building up these parts layer by layer, adding material to them. Well, let's talk about career paths for students, you know, whether it's in the master's master's program or or undergrad. Mm-hmm. Who are you seeing in the program and what are they using it for and what are their companies seeing and, and where can you take it since it is such a new since, since this is such a new curriculum? Sure. I mean, it's it is um, even though the curriculum is fairly new, companies have been sort of using and employing this technology for a while. Mostly, again, it's been in. In sort of prototyping, uh, you know, other opportunities with, with creating, uh, you know, fixtures, tooling, jigs to help you on the assembly line uh, uh, and whatnot, you know. But now it's really, you know, aerospace companies, for instance, are really ramping up because you can now, with additive manufacturing, uh, create very lightweight components that are going to then save on fuel costs, which, you know, over the 30-year life of an airplane is adds up to a lot of money. Uh, you're also, you know, outer space, so satellites. Uh, you know, rockets sort of things, again, where weight is critical, uh, certainly a lot of interest there. Uh, on the other side, in the medical domain, so being able to print implants, uh, medical devices, uh, and those, those sorts of things where now either lightweighting is a benefit or, 
for instance, on a hip implant, we can now create sort of a titanium foam that sort of better mimics, you know, what your actual bones look like. And so it helps with uh, sort of ingrowth and, and osteointegration, basically better recovery for, for the patient. So all of those industries are sort of, you know, ramping up, gobbling up students to uh, not only do prototypes and fixtures tooling, but also really design and optimize parts that uh, take advantage of, of the freedom that additive gives you. Tell me about your uh, relationship with DARPA. It goes back a ways, and uh, it's pretty significant, right? So, for those of for those of you who don't know what this stands for, I already knew. I kind of knew what it meant, but I'll say it: <laughs> Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So, DARPA. Talk to me about your relationship with them. Where did it start? Where is it now? Sure, they were uh, maybe about a decade ago. They were starting to have several programs in sort of advanced manufacturing. So this was sort of at the early sort of takeoff of, again, additive and these other technologies. They were recognizing the need for, in order for, uh, you know, maintain our competitiveness uh, and security uh, in the U.S., you know, making sure that we still had the competencies in manufacturing technologies. Additive was this new one that was just starting to emerge on the metal side. So they had several programs they were funding and we submitted for, they had a, an open manufacturing uh, call to essentially have a center serve as the uh, demonstration facility for additive for DOD department of defense. And Mm. so I think we were one of uh, about 80 or so schools and and institutions that applied and lo and behold, they picked us and uh, just uh, (laughs) it took off from there. So it gave us great opportunity to, to interface with, you know, all the different DOD suppliers, uh, even, you know, Navy, Army, Air Force, uh, Marine Corps. We, we have a Penn State. We have the Applied Research Laboratory here, ARL, which is a Navy-affiliated university research center. And so, again, uh, timing there with, you know, the Navy trying to figure out how to use additive plus this DARPA program to serve as a demonstration facility. We had many stars aligned sort of all at once uh, about eight or nine years ago for us here. And it's been a, been a, a joy ride and a roller coaster at, uh, ever since. That's great. So yeah. Mike has the next question, but I want to uh, interrupt to just say, how, where do you want people to go to learn more about the work that you're doing? A website or uh, tell us where you want people to, uh, to find you or the work you're doing, Tim. Yeah, so probably easiest is our, is our website, so www.com. CIMP-3D.org. So again, www.CIMP-3D.org or just Google, you know, Penn State Sim3D and you'll find us and see sort of the, uh, I'm, I'm one of the co- three co-directors. We have about 40 to 50 faculty involved across all different disciplines. And then we've got quite a range of both uh, of metal and plastic 3D printing on site that we're happy to provide tours uh, if anybody's, you know, in, in the area or passing through and wants to see how metal 3D printing works, uh, we're happy to do that. That's great. So, Tim, we here at PSA, we actually have a, we, we, we work on a couple of DOD projects uh, along with ARL. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting how this, uh, how, how, how the manufacturing's advanced, that the products have gotten better. Can you tell us about how the quality of the printing of the plastics of the metals are actually to the point where they actually can be deployed and the metallurgy is actually right and the parts can actually be used in real life and they're just not for objects on your desk? 
Yeah, exactly. It's not just bobbleheads and keychains anymore. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. that's what it used to um, be. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I, I think there's been a lot of skepticism. I, I continue to get those questions from folks saying, you know, who is it strong enough? How's it going to, you know, perform? But I think now we've got, that was really, you know, five, six years ago, that was really a lot of the research, particularly on the metal side, was saying, hey, do we get, you know, as I print it, do I get the right microstructure? And ultimately, do I get you know, the right properties there. And I, I think, um, you know, with the right heat treatment and understanding what's going on, you, you can get there. I think, you know, you're seeing now consistently, you're at least as good as, as sort of wrought, you know, bar stock properties. And you can even be better, you know, getting up comparable to, uh, you know, forgings in some cases with some material. So it's all in, uh, all in how you uh, treat it and finish it, et cetera. So you can't just you can't just pull a metal part off the machine and expect it to be good. Uh, there is some heat treatment that goes on. And, and sort of the best way to think about it is when you're making a metal part, you're literally creating the material at the same time as you're creating the shape. And so then depending on, you know, which, you know, is my part standing up or lying down, that's, you know, different layers. I get different heat. I get different material. So by heat treating it afterwards and uh, doing, you know, what we do with, with most alloys already, uh, you know, other traditional processes, things are right on par. And I think for us, we, uh, what, three years ago now, my colleague Ted Reutzel on ARL, he's, he's the director of the lab, he led a team that they worked with the Navy to additively manufacture and fly the first flight critical safety item, uh, flight critical item on a uh, on the B-22 Osprey helicopter. And so wow. it was a Lincoln fitting, you know, and so you, know, you hold that up and say, hey, this this. <laughs> This link was, was 3D printed in titanium and holds the, the engines on a helicopter. And sort of that, you know, if that doesn't make a statement for you or wow. if you don't believe that, that that works, then... That's pretty convincing. <laughs> that's pretty convincing, Tim. Well, Tim, did you get on that helicopter? That's the, no, that's the no, question. I'm, I'm not allowed. So, uh, but, it is, but it is still flying. Uh, still gathering data. All right, well, good. So, okay. and, now, and now we're doing... You know, you you did. He did such a great job. You know, most stressful eighteen months of his life. Uh, now he's got. Uh, you know, immediately they turned around and said, "Okay, let's do another part in titanium and see how quick we can do it." And then let's also start doing other other alloys, stainless steel, et cetera, and see what you know. What can we learn about sort of how do we qualify the materials? How do we qualify the process so that I know that I'm getting a good part whenever it comes off the machine? And, and so. More and more folks are doing that, and, and we're trying as, you know, being at, at the university here, how do, we, how do we get those stories out there? How do we share that data, you know, very broadly with, with other companies, other DOD partners, et cetera, and uh, just uh, the more we can get out there, and I think the more we can share and collaborate, I think the faster the field's going to, uh, to, going to advance forward. So, Tim, um, it's been a, it's probably been a couple of years since I was there. It was probably four or five years ago that I was there. Time flying, right? Um, it does. Yeah, it sure does. So, as best you can, explain to us or describe what's in the lab. What equipment is in there? Um, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. There's testing. There's all that kind of stuff. But kind of paint a picture as best you can of what's in the lab. Sure. We've got about sort of four main rooms now. Um, I think we're probably about almost 4,000 square feet or so, if, if not a little bit more. One, one room we have uh, is sort of powder bed fusion. So this is, there's, there's actually seven sort of, you know, fundamental additive processes, depending on how you're depositing material and melting it or whatever. So one of those is 
powder bed fusion. And so this is uh, probably what is driving most of the interest in companies right now. You literally uh, uh, take a, you know, you have powder material in there. It's kind of like fine beach sand. And you literally do a thin layer. You have a roller or scraper that does a thin layer. And then you've got a laser that comes down and selectively melts, you know, your part. And then you, uh, you know, spread another layer of powder and hits it with the laser, repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, and so most of those parts, uh, you know, you can build roughly about 10 inches by 10 inches, maybe 12 inches tall. So fairly, you know, on the, a little bit on the smaller side. But we've got uh, uh, three of those different systems now of various shapes and sizes and vendors. Uh, and in the other room uh, next to that, we have uh, what's called directed energy deposition, or DED. Uh, this is the other main process for doing metal 3D printing now, where you, again, you have a laser or, or maybe an electron beam or plasma, basically a high energy source that then is now basically melting powder, or you can feed a wire in. So think of it as like robotic welding on steroids, mm-hmm. going back and forth, and you're literally, you turn on the laser, it creates a hot spot, and then you're blowing powder into that hot spot or feeding a wire into it, and then, uh, you know, it melts, and as you move it away, it cools down and, and literally welds to, you know, the layer beneath it or the, you know, uh, adjacent on the left or right of it. So those are two processes there, and we've got we've got two of the DED systems, and actually one of those, uh, Marty, that, that wasn't here when you came, uh, is a hybrid manufacturing system. So it's from DMG Mori, uh, and it's actually combined additive with subtractive. So it's mm. got a laser, mm. a laser powder head that comes in and can deposit material, and then you you know you literally have five axis CNC capability there as well. So I can now you know, mix back and forth in any order. And that's probably the trickiest thing. Yeah, I you know, we, we, we know how to do CNC and we're sort of learning how to do additive, but you know, what's the optimal sequence to put those two together. And, you know, mm-hmm. when I, when I add material, it heats it up. And when I machine it, I hit it with cooling fluid and it cools down. And, you know, you can imagine what's going on to the metal as it's heating and cooling and moving back and forth and stuff. But, uh, but it's, it's an impressive machine and uh, mm-hmm. it has some pretty advanced capabilities there. Yeah. Uh, the other room that we have then is that we're putting in a new, we're calling a high-performance polymer room. So 3D printing now on the plastics, where it's heading is now people are doing, uh, you know, plastic materials, but then they are embedding or putting chopped fiber or, you know, Kevlar or continuous fiber into the polymer itself to add strength uh, and capabilities there. And so we're bringing several systems, uh, high-temperature polymers as well that are, uh, FAA certified, so you know you're able to print uh, material there that uh, design allowables exist that then can be used on a, you know, doing uh, duct work on an airplane, for instance, if you wanted to. Mm. Uh, wow. And then the the fourth room is a um, inspection and our testing room, but uh, the key there is our CT scanner, so an X-ray computed tomography machine. So much like when you go into a, get a doctor's office and get an x-ray to see what's going on inside, we can literally put a part in there, x-ray it, and then you spin the part just a little bit, x-ray it again, turn, x-ray, repeat, repeat, repeat. You get a bunch of 2D images that then you can stitch into a 3D image that now allows you to basically have a 3D you know, representation of your part. So if you're looking for you know, internal defects or voids or if you've got channels inside that you need to confirm, print it out as you thought, that's the other uh, piece of equipment that I think is pretty, pretty integral for an R&D lab and additive, given the state of the technology, being able to do, do that inspection as you're developing a process or, or refining a component. Uh, and so we're very fortunate to have that literally 
you know, next door to the room where we're uh, we're actually printing our parts. Interesting. I mean, that's, that's some really deep, really deep thinking here, Tim. So I, I guess the next question is, is how does a company like PSA or a machine shop capitalize on this technology? Or is it ready to be commercialized so companies can start manufacturing this way? Or are we still some time away from that? No, no. I, I think companies are doing it now. Um, you look at uh, within within the plastic space, you've got folks like Invisalign that are that are using the technology to print the mold to then make, make custom braces and things. I mean, they're putting, I think, 40000 a month or so that they're making with 3D printing technology. In the ear hearing aids, they're mostly printed, 3D printed now, you know, the ability. You know, so industries where we need high volumes but also customization, you're seeing that take off. And then on the metal side, uh, you know, on the, uh, the, the, the additive manufacturing of metals, companies like Stryker, for instance, have big, you know, warehouses full of uh, metal 3D printers, powder bed fusion systems that are cranking out, cranking out hip implants. Uh, they had an FDA approved 3D printed titanium hip implant, so that's you know in production. GE, of course, with their Leap nozzles. Uh, I, if I recall, they've made at least 35 or 40 thousand now, if not more, down in their uh, facility in Auburn. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is you know this is going on as we speak, and it just continues to to ramp up and uh, companies are really, you know, trying to figure out how best to, how best to capitalize on it. Um, I also know many, many machine shops uh, and whatnot that starting to invest in the technology as it, as it complements, uh, you know, subtractive technologies. And so the ability to create, you know, organic shapes or near net shapes easier, you know, reducing say the buy to fly ratio, how much material do you have to buy versus how much actually goes, you know, on the plane or, or whatnot, you know, so you can reduce the amount of scrap right there. And so having a machine or two, in addition to the, you know, mills and lathes and whatnot, you're seeing uh, folks, we've, we've done work with Imperial Machine and Tool, among others, uh, recently bought out by Kaiser there that, uh, right. yeah. again, are really, really seeing benefits from having having expertise in both technologies. Because, you know, end of the day, when you're printing these metal parts, be it powder bed or directed energy deposition, you still need to move them. You know, to get surface, you know, get your surface roughness down, mating interfaces, and those sorts of things. And so, you know, a, a machine shop or uh, a whatnot that that has those capabilities, I think, you know, if they can also understand what additive can and can't do, then they are all the better prepared to to compete as this technology becomes more and more uh, predominant. Yeah, wild. Uh, say hello to Chris Joust at Imperial Machines. I'm not sure if they're still there or not, but but they were a real leader, weren't they, Tim? They were, yeah. When when they stood, I don't remember exactly how they heard about us, but when they came into the lab and walked through and said, "Yeah, we just we just bought one of these machines. We think it's the way to go," and just had a very um, yeah sort of open mind about it. Uh, they just they said they uh, you know two three years later it just exploded and yeah. they were at the right place at the right time and didn't even anticipate all of the opportunities it would create for them. And I think I think that's one of the biggest challenges, particularly with you know, smaller companies like that is, hey, how do I justify the investment, right. you know, in one of these systems because it's hard to make make the business case based on, you know, what we're currently designing versus right. the, the future potential there just, um, you know, really worked out for them and, and many others as well. Yeah. I, well, I was going to ask you about challenges in the industry, that, but that partially answered the, the question. Got something else, Mike? Where do you think we go? Where, what is the next five years, you know, two years. I mean, this is a fast moving technology. So is, is it a one year 
three year, five year, or is this five year, 10 year, 20 years? I mean, when does this become mm-hmm. more mainstream and maybe the equipment becomes cheaper to purchase? So it opens, opens it, opens it up to, to, you know, smaller companies than, you know, fortune 500 or Boeing or, or aerospace. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, every, every prediction is, you know, three to five years out, it'll be there. But, um, you know, I think you're already seeing that you've got, uh, several startups now that are really driving the price of the technology down. Uh, we actually have a former undergrad here, Matt Woods that, uh, said, why, why are these machines so expensive? And, you know, he slept on a couch for a couple of years and built his own laser, <laughs> laser powder bed system. That's now selling for under, under uh, you know, under a hundred thousand bucks, basically about one tenth of what the commercial versions are. Now, granted, it's not as big, uh, and as fast, but. You know, from an affordability standpoint and getting you in the game and it's, you know, it's real laser based uh, powder bed fusion technology for a fraction of the cost. You know, that's a great, great on ramp for you. Uh, And then you've got companies, uh, Mark Forge, Desktop Metal and others that are trying to bring metals in via other technology. So material extrusion, for instance, like most of our a lot of the plastic printers that are out there, the MakerBots and Stratasys, Lulzbot. Uh, uh, Ultimakers, they're basically what Mark Forge and Desktop Metal are doing is impregnating uh, metal particles into plastic filament so that as you extrude it uh, and then you literally, uh, you know, melt away the the plastic, it it serves as a binder, but then when it's all said and done, you get a, you know, you get a metallic part. And so you don't have to deal with the loose powder particles and things. So there are some safety considerations for some of these metal systems. And so you see different different companies sort of attacking it in, in different ways. Uh, I think the other big bottleneck has been on the software side and the mm. ability to design yeah. parts that really take advantage of additives, uh, you know, sort of the, you know, extrude, sweep, sort of traditional ways of making, you know, models in our CAD systems are based on sort of, you know, subtractive processes and how we think about those. But now I can create sort of these weird organic shapes, the lattice structures, uh, I can even have, there's some, some uh, suite of tools called generative design tools that use, you know, topology optimization and other computer algorithms to automatically generate the geometry for you. And so your role as a designer, you don't necessarily create the, you know, the CAD model anymore. You say, all right, here's, here's my volume, here's my loads, you know, here's my constraints. And then the computer will tell you, you know, what is the optimum geometry there for, you know, a lightweight structure that then you can turn around and, you know, 3D print it. And so the ability to combine software with these new hardware advances is just really going to continue to, uh, you know, accelerate this and uh, uh, create, you know, continue to create a lot of interest. So we're going to start wrapping up. Uh, Tim Simpson is the, uh, is the A professor in mechanical engineering and industrial design at Penn State University in University Park, Pennsylvania. So this is the PSA podcast, and so Mike has a lot of uh, robotics, automation companies, and, and, and clients like that. Is there anything that we left out, Tim, that you think's really important for Mike to share with his audience? Anything that we missed, possibly? Sure. I think two, two things there from. We're seeing a lot of, um, you know, additive manufacturing is sort of this part of this wave of industry 4.0 technology. So the robotics and automation, you know, virtual reality, sort of this combination of technologies. And you're starting to see, given some of the post-processing needs of uh, of additively manufactured parts on the metals, you know, having robots and uh, that that unload a build and move it onto a 
you know, into a furnace or uh, depowder it or move it into a machining center or wire DM. I think there's some huge opportunities there in trying to automate uh, the, the post-processing and production of, of 3D metal printed parts. And then at the same time, I think additive is finding ways of, uh, uh, again, creating new robots and grippers and end effectors and things that uh, maybe have embedded sensors in them for better force feedback, lighter weight uh, components and arms so you can reduce the, you know, the motors yeah, and uh, the size of your motors and weight. So it, mm-hmm. it, works, it works on both ends there, I think, both improving the automation and robotics technology and then at the same time using that technology to improve the processes, scale up and, uh, and, uh, and reduce costs and, and things. So tell us one more time where all people can reach out to you, Tim. Great, thank you. So at Penn State, uh, our website is uh, www.cimp-3d.org. Again, www.cimp-3d.org or Penn State Sim3D. Google that and uh, should pop up for you and check out what we got here. Uh, Mike one, is waving one frantically at me. He has another question. One more question, <laughs> one more question for you, Tim. One thing that, sure. that, I, that I read every month and gets passed around our shop is Modern Machine Shop Magazine. And I know that uh, you're, you're, you submit a lot of articles into Modern Machine Shop. So is that one way that you're trying to get your voice out there? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I've been fortunate enough. Uh, Pete Zielinski invited me uh, actually about over three years ago now. He had toured our facility and said, hey, I, you know, I'd love to have your input uh, you know, to the readers on sort of what do they need to be aware of. Uh, so I've been writing sort of stories and, and I, I write a month, a column a month there and it gets uh, posted on at a manufacturing blog and then ends up in a uh, modern machine shop or, you know, whatever order that goes in. But but yeah, that's been a great way to, to sort of uh, make folks aware of what's what's going on, where's the technology, and uh, and reach a much broader audience very very quickly. So I've been was grateful to Pete for that opportunity, and um, you know never thought as a sort of design guy doing three D printing that I'd be writing columns for uh, for something like <laughs> Modern Machine Shop. Cool. But uh, a lot of a lot of people you know? read that, Tim. A lot of people they read do. that. That's a big market. <laughs> So I appreciate appreciate that. Thank you. Our guest on the PSA podcast has been Dr. Timothy Simpson. Tim, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good talking to you.